Welcome to episode 107, 107. Excited to keep going with these guys. I uh, really appreciate you supporting. And this episode, we are lucky enough to be joined by Josh Dunce, a founder of Stasis. And I'll leave it to the episode so you get a little bit more about them in his own words. The exciting thing is after this episode, he actually reached out to me and asked if I might be able to work with them in some way. So stay tuned for some possible exciting stuff we might be doing together. Uh, so yeah, very exciting. I love this episode. We're all about breathing. Uh, first thing I try to look at with every single person I work with, if someone is at a party and they're like, hey, I got this thing on my knee. I got this thing going on my back. I'm like, well, let's look at your breathing. No matter what it is, it's always about breathing to me. So uh, without further ado, I want to jump into this episode. Don't forget to share with someone you think will benefit, like it, leave a comment, leave a rating, leave a review. Here we go. Whoa, jumping right into the... (laughs) Yeah, this is Sixes to Nines featuring Rationale off of Super Dream by Big Wild. Don't, I like it. I like it. First time I've heard it. Our uh, special request here by Josh Dunn, who I'm joined with. And where are you? Lo- you're, you're in New York? No, no sorry, I'm you're in Florida. South Florida, yeah. I knew that. Um, <laughs> and we talked about that. You're in Boca Raton, Florida. But yeah, that's thrown off by the Mount Sinai connection, which we're going to talk about. Um, I like this song. I'm grooving. I'm grooving with it. Feeling good. Yeah, I want the whole have... album's really good. Check it out. Uh, reminds me of a lot of other kind of stuff I, I always have in like a playlist. So I'm going to definitely appreciate you putting me on to that. That's why I do that. That's why I like asking random questions like that. That's why I love having this podcast. And uh, for anyone jumping in, welcome to Bono's Health. And health is uh, one of the main things we're talking about here with Josh Dunst, who's talking about breasts. And probably the number one thing I do, if anyone's listening to me at all, I was just telling him, you know, I had my little TED Talk situation with uh, Mark Williams, my guidance counselor, uh, who coaches folks into, oh, it's a little cover, Prince cover. Is that, is that what that is? Little little Prince riff. I like that. Um, but yeah, the, the number one thing we do, uh, I do with a lot of folks and just the breathing piece. You've talked about it. I don't want to take your thunder. I'm going to let you expand on a little more, but just putting one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. And uh, taking some deep breaths uh, in and out and seeing if you're breathing more with your chest or your belly. Uh, that's where I start with almost every human I have in front of me. Um, and I found it to be one of the most powerful things with, uh, as I always kind of joke about, half a million dollars of education around the human body. Uh, it comes back to breath in a lot of ways. Um, so that takes us to Josh Dunst. Um, and we just connected. We're, we're in the WHOOP group uh, with Men Talking Mindfulness. Um, which is very frustrating for me because I can never win anything. I was winning recovery <laughs> one week, and and but yeah, there's some guys in there who their strain is at like 20 by noon every day. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that, Josh. How do you how do you feel about the whoop in general? I know I've heard you talk again. Uh, listen to a bunch of your podcasts leading up to this. So uh, the aura being able to provide HRV data throughout is interesting. But overall, you're still with the whoop. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, still with the whoop. I've been using it pretty consistently for the past couple of years. Um, I like it a lot. It kind of keeps me accountable. When I first started using it, it really helped me do a lot of like behavioral changes, which I think is kind of the main purpose of Whoop. Um, Did you utilize the journal a lot? I, I did. And that's kind of where I saw a lot of insights, specifically around like just like super moderate drinking. Like I would notice like my recovery and sleep would be shit. Even if I had like a beer or two at dinner or something. Um, so yeah, just kind of like little insights like that. Like when I was testing out new supplements or like CBD products or something like that, I would journal it really heavily and see, you know, how it was impacting my metrics, um, sauna and cold tub, kind of like anything new I was adding into my routine. I wanted to see, how it was affecting kind of my overall um, fitness or performance levels. And it's a great tool for that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. And if anyone out there has questions or wants to get introduced to the whoop, I have a couple of videos on my channels. Uh, I break down a little bit of what the whoop looks like inside and, and uh, all the metrics it can give you in different ways to utilize that. And I'm always kind of referring folks out and I'll put a, my referral code into the show notes. If anyone wants to try out a month uh, of whoop, always a good thing. And they are not official show sponsors, but if 
they want to be, I'm, I'm always open. Um, so let's go back a little bit more. Again, I listened to a bunch of your stuff. I wanted to just kind of uh, summarize, because I'm sure you've told the story a bunch, but let's just let's just talk about some of those highlights. Uh, EOD Tech, you want to you want to just kind of catch everyone up on what that means and and a little bit of, of I mean, uh, I can kind of probably at this point tell the story of how you got there of looking at the brochures and wanting to do something a little more fun in the Navy. And and, uh, you, you know, that was a very cool, cool story. So I'll let you kind of tell it. Yeah, Explosive Ordnance Disposal is what EOD stands for. It's basically the Navy's bomb squad. Um, summary of the story is I was lost after graduating from high school. College wasn't the right thing for me at the time, um, which led me down to the military path. Um, I thought Navy EOD was specifically cool because they got to dive and do a lot of the other stuff with other special operations communities. Um, so I ended up going down that route. I did that for 10 years. Um, I just got out in December of 2019. And then since then, I've kind of been exploring the civilian world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that takes us to maybe one of those civilian things is ultra running. Is that just uh, really from, again, being in the military and having to do, you know, like 10 hour runs or? <laughs> no, so I was actually kind of like funny story. A lot of people think that, but uh, I hated running when I was in the military. I, I, ne I was never, I never like thought of myself as a, a strong or a, a good runner either. Even I definitely have like a runner's body. I'm like long and lanky. Um, I don't know if it was because we were forced to run, which makes things just less fun, obviously. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get into like ultra kind of like long endurance running until I left the military. And then for me, it was just like, I have tried so many different, like every sport I could do. I was very into like CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting when I was on active duty. Um, yeah, I saw that. I, I weighed, I was, you know, at one point like 200 pounds. I'm down to like 170 now. So I've lost a ton of weight since I started running. Um, I, I don't think my body was meant to be at that weight either. I definitely feel healthy or healthier, more mobile now. I think this is kind of more my natural just body weight given my body type. Um, but yeah, I was just looking for like a new challenge. What can I do? That's a little outside of what the norm is something. I wanted to find something particularly hard and something I had to suffer through for some reason. I think I find enjoyment and suffering. Um, and so kind of like, you know, I got into some of that, that seemed to be like a little, I think ultra running is kind of like hot right now. It's like a lot of people are talking about it, I guess. And so, you know, I heard like David Goggins and read his book and read a couple other books around like ultra running. And I was just like, all right, this sounds like something cool that I could get into. Um, and so I kind of just dove in and have really enjoyed it. And I like the training a lot for it too. It's, it's one of those sports where it's like, it's more about the the journey and the training vice maybe the actual race day. Um, so that, that's fun for me. Mm. And just to be clear, and again, I'm actually, I, I'm somewhat familiar obviously with what it is. And I mean, some, some people hear that and think hundred mile races, but technically the definition of ultra running to my understanding is anything above 26.2 miles. Yeah, marathon. I believe that's technically, I, I think the shortest um, like ultra runs or races I've seen have been 50 K, which yeah. is like 32 miles or something like that. I believe it's 31, 31, 31. Okay. 3.1 and then 10 K or a hundred K would be 62. Okay. So that's the fun. Yeah. I, I do know those conversions for many different reasons, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was the first, I'm, I'm very new into the sport. Um, this year is kind of like when I first did my first couple of races, I started off with a 50 K earlier this year. And then I just did a 50, my first 50 mile race. Um, and then I'm going to do another 50 mile race in December. Did you skip over the marathon piece and just not even do marathons? I did. I had run a marathon um, like in training and in the Navy before, mm. not like just not at like a sanctioned race. Um, so that that distance, I guess, just didn't like appeal to me just because I had kind of done it. And I was like, all right, I've already done this. Um, gotcha. Maybe at one day, like if I become more um, <laughs> focused on speed and like mm. want to hit a certain time or something, I could see like myself trying to train for like a, you know, sub four marathon right, or something right. like that. Um, but right now I just find more enjoyment in the longer distances. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. And I don't know that I'll be joining you anytime soon, but it <laughs> starts to like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm close to, I think 185 pounds is probably the lightest I've been in a few years myself. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I might do a 40 minute run and be like, that's good enough for me once a week. That, that, yeah. that feels about right for me right now. But, uh, 
yeah, I mean, I, I started going in kind of the opposite. I, I started doing half marathons and I was like, I'm planning to do a marathon for my ACL at some point. I was going to do, I switched to triathlon, uh, gearing up towards at least uh, half Ironman and then Ironman. And, and just uh, then I found CrossFit and I actually just like, this is way better. I'd rather do a hundred random kind of events than than yeah. three and, and just commit my life to that. So I like the novelty of it all. So I'm sure we can geek out on all that. Curious, just last thing I want to ask about the ultra running piece is, are you doing any cross training, strength training, or is it just pretty much primarily running? No, I, I do. That was something that was really important to me because I didn't want to like look like a runner. <laughs> Sorry, all the, the hardcore runners out there. Uh, but I enjoy weightlifting too. And so I have a really like world-class gym by me. Um, and I, I, I've also started working with like a trainer this year and that's been a complete game changer for me um, too. So I do like, um, I'll do like two or three hard, uh, like cross training sessions, I would say with him a week and then a couple um, kind of like more mobility uh, focus sections and then I'll run five days a week is typically like yeah. the schedule right now. So awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, think again, I, the more I talk about that stuff, it gets me excited and I want to do it. So I'm going to move on from that cause I don't actually want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's jump over to, to the, to the breathing piece. Cause, uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. And again, having listened to a bunch of your other podcasts over the last few days leading into this, I'll do my quick summary of some of that. So, and again, having talked about breathing pretty much every chance I get, I try to at least post once a week on my social media, just that little reminder of like, here's some different stuff you can think about with breathing. Uh, there's box breathing where you do four seconds in, four second hold, four second out, four seconds hold. Um, there's the longer in, a shorter inhale, longer exhale, which I've heard you talk about, uh, four seconds in, six seconds out um, as one of the ways to, again, start to activate, uh, you know, get, get tapping into the nervous system, uh, that mm -hmm. kind of concept. So just trying to go broad stroke so that we can dive a little deeper maybe um, that again, chest versus belly, proper breathing mechanics, uh, something that again, for me, uh, as a physical therapist, I found, you know, that solves people's back pain. So if you're out there listening and you got back pain and you're like, there's no way. And, and you also, uh, just to keep stealing your story and taking some of the, the shine off of it, sorry about that. But, um, is, is you kind of the first time you were introduced to some of this breathing with a training partner, uh, they, they kind of said, you were like, I'm a pretty good athlete. Like, I'm pretty sure I breathe. Okay. Um, and then you had that kind of aha moment. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw those out there. Uh, you also brought up a couple of times the book breath by James Nestor. Um, and then the Breathwork app, uh, which was called spelled W R K at the end there. So I started looking at all these things that if I hadn't already been on that, and then again, bringing all that together, putting that to the side stasis S T A S I S is your, you're the CEO. Um, and that's where, again, when I first kind of sent you some LMNT, um, I was like, oh, you do this thing and your company, like, uh, very in line. I want to know more about what's going on there. So tell us all that kind of breathing stuff. Um, tell us about stasis. And, and I know it kind of came out of long COVID and putting those pieces together. So. Yeah, Stasis was uh, born originally when I was still in act on active duty a couple months before I got out. Um, and it's kind of gone a completely different direction uh, from where we thought it was going to go. Like my intention was to work with mainly like military uh, personnel and like athletes. Um, and then the pandemic started and I kind of realized that there was a ton of other resources for athletes and like cune performance around breath work, but no one was really focused on like the healthcare sector um, and helping out people that I thought needed it the most. Um, and so I just got super lucky, right time, right place with what was going on um, and got connected with this doctor out of Mount Sinai, Dr. David Petrino. He's one of our advisors. He's a friend of mine now and just an overall great human being. Um, and we started working. He, he's His role kind of shifted at the hospital to um, he was the head of innovation and their like performance rehab center. And they basically stood up a long COVID care clinic that he now runs, I believe still. Um, and so we started working with his team to try to develop like some protocols and specific like programs that their patients could use to help them really, um, be prepared to start doing regular physical therapy. Right. So a lot of these patients were so sick. They had, 
um, such severe dysfunctional breathing. They were so fatigued that they couldn't even like go do regular physical therapy. So it was like more, it was hurting them more than it would help them. And also in the beginning, there was a long line, like people were waiting months, you know, to, to see doctors, see specialists, to get into this program. Um, so we kind of developed a, a breathing program that they could start to do from day one. That way, hopefully, you know, come time when they start to see their physical therapist, they were in a much better place and could actually get something out of like some more traditional rehab methods. Um, and so that's kind of where we've been for the past two years now. We've worked with um, like thousands of patients all across the, the country, overseas, um, Canada, Australia, a lot of the UK too. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been super cool. It's been super exciting. Um, I've got to learn so much about like the healthcare industry. And I know you and I talked a little bit about how uh, there's a lot of like broken things around the healthcare system. <laughs> yeah. But what was really cool for me to see was during this time period, um, how open these physical therapists and doctors were to a new kind of like new AG, right, type method to help their patients. Um, and they were super open about like, hey, we don't have the education that you have. Like, what do you think is best? And it was, I had like, I still have like crazy imposter syndrome because like I don't have a traditional healthcare background. Um, so for them to kind of be open to listening to me and like, you know, letting me come in and like them trusting me to work with their patients uh, was a big deal, I thought. And now seeing like where it's gone in the past couple of years and like how much it's grown and where it's going, um, it's just amazing that the I see changes in the healthcare system that like we all want to see. And so unfortunately it probably caused the pandemic, like the pandemic caused that to happen. But I think that's what we see, you know, generally in industry, it's always takes some catastrophic event to kind of blow shit up before you can start to build it back up, right? A new way. So it's it's been a, a interesting process to see for sure. Yeah. And I think I heard you allude to the fact that there's not a lot of money to be made with breathing and if breathing's coming in as an alternative to opioids uh there's a lot of money to be lost by a lot of people so you know it, it it's needs to be put out there i think that uh if we're trying to demand better from the healthcare system uh there's a lot of reasons why a lot of physical therapists and even respiratory therapists are just disconnected from the the right way to breathe um uh, yeah. And, and there's just a lot here <laughs> where, again, it's crazy for me to still have to, you know, I would say nine out of 10 people that come into my doors uh, for physical therapy, whether it's back pain, shoulder pain, whatever, neck pain, especially, uh, are just breathing the wrong way. And again, I think I've heard you say it would take 23,000 breaths a day. I feel like I'm, you know, it was, it was really cool listening to your podcast because I'm like, oh, this is the same stuff I say nine out of 10 of the people I see. Um, and, and you know, it's, if you're taking 23,000 breaths a day, or if you have a rock in one shoe and you keep walking and it's going to eventually lead to something happening with, you know, breaking down your foot. And if you're also breathing, uh, if, if anyone's watching on video, I'm just, you know, elevating my, my backup muscles of breathing and they're not supposed to be there. And that's mm -hmm. also living in fight or flight. We all are living in anxiety and there's recessions and there's financials and there's politics and we get caught up with all of it and there's COVIDs. Um, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's, it's been very cool to hear that. It's very cool to see these things emerge again. Uh, you, I've heard you talk about Wim Hof, uh, for anyone not familiar, one of the more popular, uh, breathing experts, they call him the Iceman. Very cool, uh, kind of video. If you go on YouTube and just look up, uh, I think it's just ice, the Iceman. Uh, but he talks about some of the stuff where they're injecting, uh, viruses into him and he's able to breathe it out of his body and, and things like that. So, um, changing the pH understanding again, that a lot of it is, is it based on carbon dioxide getting pushed out? Is it based on oxygen being brought in? So uh, again, I, I love geeking out on this stuff. I'm all, almost like trying to wrap my way around an actual question here. So just bear with me. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, but again, I've heard you allude to this and it's another thing I talk about is a, another thing that's emerged with all the anxiety and better help on every podcast and mental health being a thing. And, you know, we're, we did, we're not even getting into the military side of it yet. We're just talking about society in general. Um, mindfulness, I always, when I talk about breathing better, um, outside of the orthopedic benefits that I have found are directly like instant fixes. 
Um, there's that mindfulness piece and whether it's yoga, whether it's Pilates, whether it's uh, spiritual practice, whether you're taking a free throw in a game winning situation, you take, you take that big breath to kind of recenter yourself. Um, and, and it's all built in there. Um, and so how do we take that and get it out to the masses? I, you know, I spoke on a recent podcast with some pretty big fitness influencers of, do we need a Jack LaLanne? to be out there and pushing the stuff. Wim Hof was kind of the guy, I think, starting to be, but then his kind of fire breathing piece, if it doesn't connect with everyone. And you see, you know, in the video, you see people doing the really <laughs> fire breathing and passing out and having like spiritual, you know, like being possessed and uh, that tends to turn some people off. Um, and, and just in general, yeah, it seems so silly, but people are willing to do the mindfulness piece. And you, I think, uh, also talked about um, was the uh, mindfulness app? Is it a headspace, right? I think is mm -hmm. the one yeah. um, where a lot of it is built in is there's some breathing piece to it. You're controlling your breathing, even the old school way of counting your sh counting sheep or counting your breath uh, is an easy way to fall asleep because you're bringing your nervous system down. You're bringing attention to that. So uh, I guess my question here is uh, sorry for the rant and ramble. And anyone who's been here knows that this is what I do. Um, so welcome to, to the wonderful world of uh, Dr. Bo. Um, but <laughs> uh, in terms of how this is all progressing and, and apps, and again, Stace is clearly pushing things in the right direction there. Um, yeah. Are we going to find, you know, little organic ways to build this up? Is this something the military is going to maybe pick up and be like, oh, we need breathing experts to come in, uh, again, stuff through Mount Sinai, stuff through long COVID. Is, is there hope that, you know, we can, uh, again, I don't know, actually, sorry to finish this rant, is, is if you've seen Andrew Huberman, Andy Galpin, uh, some of these names that are really emerging. I think it was Andrew Huberman who talked about uh, we should give out a, a breathing license before we give out a driver's license. Because if you're a 17-year-old kid who's going through all this hormonal transition and getting in front, you know, being able to control a two-ton vehicle, uh, maybe you should learn how to control your breath. And, <laughs> and if you're in traffic and someone cuts you off or there's a scary thing, you can control your physiology. I've done a number of interviews with an, another couple of folks I'd love to connect you with at some point. Physiology First up in Maine, they're a nonprofit. Um, David Bidler and, and some folks over there. You I, I follow them on social media. They put out a great content yeah. all the time, yeah. Yeah, so um, tons of great stuff. So the question becomes, I mean, it sounds like there's a little bit of a rise, of, of rising of the tide uh, lifts all ships. So is, is there, do you see a future? Do you see a way we can all push this into, again, is it, is it going to take, you know, no, you know, places like physiology first, really getting this into schools? Or, or what do you see as the next steps of pushing breathing, not just yeah. having, you know, oh. James Nestor on Joe Rogan's podcast? <laughs> Yeah, hundred um, percent. The if you if you look back, like specifically in like human performance trends, what typically happens is we're like ten years behind academia and like research that's been going on, and that's where we are right now with breathing. Um, so it's the same thing. Kind of we saw like this huge push with like meditation and yoga a few years ago. Right. And now it's like super mainstream. Everyone has heard about it. You have two billion dollar companies with Headspace and Calm that have built, you know, meditation into a billion dollar industry, which is, is crazy. If you would have told people that a decade ago, they would have laughed at you. I think that's kind of we're at the beginning stages of that with with breath. Um, I think what's going to happen is I think there's probably going to be a few key players, right? Just like there is in meditation and just like there is in yoga. Um, and then there'll be a lot of like niche players that will, you know, build specific products for niche markets. Like if it's for children, for instance, or it's for the military, because the, the customer, right? The end user of that product is so different, even though the tools and the protocols and the breathing and the mechanics and all that stuff might are going to be the same for pretty much all humans, how you deliver the education piece and how you deliver the actual um, information needs to be different depending on kind of who that end user is. 
So that, that's why I think it's going to be like fragmented at, at first, which is what we typically see with industries that are new or kind of new channels within uh, vertical markets. And then eventually there'll be a couple of kind of bigger players that come up and gobble up all the small people and they'll be like the Amazons and breeding of the world probably, um, which is so right now is an exciting time to be in the space, I feel like, because no one knows who that those couple front runners are going to be. Um, so it's super exciting. And then... The other piece is like, it's, I think that unlike yoga and meditation, breathing has a little bit of difference, a little, it comes off different to, to most people because with meditation, a lot of people, when you just say the word meditation kind of triggers like this response where it's like, oh, you know, the first thing you'll probably hear is, oh, I can't meditate or I'm not good at meditating. Um, or they think it's like esoteric or new agey and like meditation isn't for them. I see that a ton with like military guys. Right. Um, but most people are like, when you talk about breathing, they don't have that same kind of visceral reaction because they're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's, it's, it might sound strange to them. Like, cause everyone thinks they just know how to breathe inherently because it's just part of our physiology, right. As a human. Um, but I found that like coming from it in instead of coming to it like a, an esoteric type way with meditation how they typically approach it um coming from it from like a data healthcare back where it's like hey you can go read all these studies like the the study has been done in the labs the results have been published um people are much more open to like hearing at least what you have to say and taking a look at that type of stuff and that's I think that's been a huge reason why we've seen a lot of success with stasis is because from the beginning, um, we wanted to be different than the other breathing companies that we saw out there that were doing that, right? Where it's more like a somatic, esoteric type approach where it's, you know, yogi base. It's like, you know, hear emotions and all this stuff. And I, there's, don't get me wrong, there's a time and place for that for sure. And I'm a huge fan of that. I'm, I have my spiritual side as well. Um, but I think when you're presenting something so new to people like this, um, I don't think it's the right approach necessarily, at least in the beginning, depending on who the audience is. So we kind of took the different approach and we try to like not even use breath work like in our on our website or stuff. Like we try to use like respiratory training to like just really make sure people are aware, like, hey, we're coming at this from a very like scientific evidence-based approach. Um, we're not trying to take like the Wim Hof method, right? So it's kind of to each their own. And I think there will be plenty of opportunities for both types of companies in the breathwork space. Um, just, you know, depends on the market and, and kind of what type of brand you want to build. Yeah. Um, since we're call, kind of calling out people, um, <laughs> uh, one thing that, that I end up having to correct with a lot of folks and the, 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 it's a little connected to the breathing piece, core. Uh, I end up seeing a lot of folks with pelvic health issues that I refer out to a pelvic health PT. I've had a few, uh, especially women's health specialists on my show here and uh, Pilates and this cue of suck your belly button to your spine. Um, I wonder, again, I have my thoughts. If I haven't already made that clear. Uh, but I just wonder if you've seen that, if that plays in somewhere to to where you're at and i just want to um there, there there is a place for that i'll say is in terms of like being able to vacuum your stomach and activate that muscle which a lot of people can't but they then go into that's the only way to activate my core and then it's throwing off the breathing mechanics it's throwing off their pelvic floor mechanics um so i have found that to be something i need to correct a lot i'm just wondering if you've had some experience with that as yeah. well I've seen that a lot too, um, more specifically with, with males, right? Just because I think we naturally, most males naturally suck their gut in just because they want to have like a rock hard six pack all the time, right? I find myself doing it a lot when I'm just sitting at my desk. Like I naturally just tend to like tighten up my stomach a little mm. bit. So I kind of have to remember to relax. Um, and then I think anyone that has comes from like an athletic background too. It just, there's a misconception. I think when you tell someone to tighten the core, the first thing they want to do is suck in the belly, right? Instead of actually like taking a deep breath, um, to fill up their intercostal space with air, uh, they just suck in and they think that's tight. Right. Uh, so I think it's just a common misconception, um, that people have, because the, the problem with all this stuff is like, 
we were never properly educated right. on this, right? Like no one taught us how to do this as a child, unless you were lucky and had great parents that were aware or worked with like a great trainer, you know, or, or whatever the case may be, if you were lucky. But other than that, um, no one taught us like how to breathe when I was a kid or like how to meditate or how to have like body awareness, you know, of your emotions and your senses. Um, most people, you know, like went to like high school. I'm, I'm thinking back now, like high school when I went to like gym class, no one taught us like how to lift weights properly, you know, like all this shit you kind of just like figure out. And if you're lucky one day, maybe you, you get introduced to it and you start going down the rabbit hole that I did. And uh, it was like, holy shit, like, why is no one talking about this? Right. Yeah. Like, um, so I think it's just a, a part of like modern society that we live in right now. It's, it's weird because uh, like, obviously our, our ancestors were so aware of this and they were so on top of all this stuff. Um, and through distractions and technology and whatever the case may be over the centuries, we've gotten away from the basic of the basic, which is how to breathe. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's crazy. But again, like you said, it's, it's a, we're in a positive time right now because now awareness is being talked about. People are talking about it. Um, and more and more education and content is out there for people to go find and kind of you know, decide what is right for them and how they can implement it into their lives. So if there's, again, you have to burn it down before you can build it back up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll share that. Uh, I was pretty lucky. Our high school football coach, who uh, was a mean, mean man, uh, was also the uh, chorus instructor. So he understood diaphragmatic breathing mm-hmm. um, and how to, again, engage that. So he actually taught us that on the football field. Uh, so pretty unique uh, place to be there. Uh, we did have some weightlifting uh, things looking back that were just not great. Back squatting and looking up where the ceiling meets the wall that I know gets taught in a lot of high school weight rooms. Um, not great um, and, and takes a while to break out of. And then, uh, but yes, we, we did any performer, singer, anyone speaks for a living, I think uh, should figure out how to breathe properly and get the most out of yeah. that diaphragmatic kind of concept. But there's still so much nuance and, and specificity to that. So I do want to shout out coach Debo, um, Brooklyn tech shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have, uh, I want if two things I wanted to jump over to, but I had a very specific question from a friend of mine who he's a cyclist and he geeks out on a lot of this stuff. So his question is, um, uh, what do you think of nasally derived nitric oxide on sports performance versus, uh, nitric oxide supplementation, such as beet powder or juice? I have my thoughts, but I'll let you take that. <laughs> Uh, I think there's probably a time and place for both. Um, for like a high-performing athlete, uh, most people want to get the most out of their body they can and then supplement maybe where they're they're missing. So that would be kind of my two cents. Um, there's a lot of uh, Patrick McCown from Oxygen Advantage talks a lot about um, NO2 production in the nasal cavities and like some warm-up methods. Um, specifically like one is like a, it's like a high altitude simulation that you can do with breath work that stimulates a, a ton of o, NO2. Um, I do this sometimes before my runs and I actually notice there's like very few things I feel like that you do, whether it's supplements or kind of like warm up, cool down routines where you can actually like notice a difference in, in your training. This is one of the things that I've always noticed a huge difference when I actually do before. It only takes five or 10 minutes to do um and basically what you do is like on on a breath hold so after an exhale with empty lungs you can either walk in place or you know take a trot down the down the road um the easiest thing to do is you'll want to monitor like if you have a spo2 um measurement so like a one of those finger things that you throw on your finger um, and get your spo2 below 85 percent just for a very short amount of time um, that'll kind of release a ton of red blood cells into your body. Also, you're building up a lot of NO2 during that time. Um, so that's a great, like for, especially for cyclists or any endurance like athletes to do before they start their workout. You could also do this like on the bike, right? Like during, if you're warming up for 10 or 15 minutes on the bike before you get in, um, you can hold your breath while you're actually cycling and that'll help you drop. A lot of people have trouble actually getting to like that 85% because it's uncomfortable, right? Like you're, you're kind of going hypoxic a little bit. Um, so 
be cautious of doing that, right? If you're like on a road bike for the first time, there's traffic, you might want to like practice a little or play with it at the house just to yeah. be in a more safe environment. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of good benefits that come out to, out to it. I haven't, you know, I don't have as much research or background in like the beats. I know there's a lot of like natural things that you can do to increase. I don't know what the, the data or the science says around that stuff, but um, again, if you're looking for maybe like an extra half percentage increase in performance, there might be some validity to that as well. Right. Yeah, my, my experience with the research specifically around beet, beet powder, those kind of supplements is you need to take like a, uh, a, a human <laughs> body size worth of beets to which, yeah, seems to if you do it with actual beets. Um, I remember learning about this maybe around 2010 and this, you know, the research has been around for a while and uh, I think it was like a hundred meter sprinter or, or maybe like a mile, one mile Olympian or something. Uh, and you could see he must have uh, just super dosed beats <laughs> and they have the photo with like red fluid flowing out of his uh, shorts and thinking it's blood, but it was like, no, he just, he had like all the beats he could find. Um, <laughs> but he won, like he set a record. He just like, peed himself so yeah some funny stuff there um that so yeah so one of the other pieces of that is is just the nasal breathing um and this is something i think and i ironically talked about it with another couple that i interviewed a few uh, a day or two ago uh kariana anthes and and bill anthes he and he's a green beret uh so they're doing stuff in morristown new jersey um with between the ears and they've shifted from like a crossfit beat you down approach to more mindful connect to your nervous system kind of incorporating some of this breath work type stuff and yeah he said like the first time he just did nasal breathing only with like seven wall balls he nearly like <gasps> like nearly dying um where it's very hard to uh, again the, the physiology of it is it's very hard to release enough carbon dioxide um not just get enough oxygen in starting to understand that that is a pretty big deal so uh yeah nasal breathing is something i incorporate with a lot of my training as well as with a lot of my clients and so they start to inhale uh and exhale through the nose uh, i don't know if you you've looked into the mechanics or play around with that of some people say it's okay to inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth versus just in and out through the nose and you'll even do the tape on the mouth um think kind of thing so yeah i don't know nasal breathing in general uh you know yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose if you're exhaling through your mouth because you're exhaling all the CO2 that you're trying to keep in your system to release more oxygen, um, plus the volume of air that you're going to release through your mouth vice your nose is almost double um, with every exhale. So again, there's there's a time and place, I think, for um, like breathing through your mouth. Typically, it should be safe for high-intensity work. Um, where you just can't cycle enough CO2 through the, the nasal passages as you need to be. But I do like 90% of my runs are all nasal only. Um, the only time I, I stray from that is again, when I'm doing like high intensity interval work. Um, but you can, you can train, it's, it's kind of crazy to see too. And it takes time for a lot of people. And that's, I think they get away from it too soon because it can be six to eight weeks of like slow, slow, slow running or cycling or whatever piece of equipment you're doing through the nose before you actually start to notice a difference. Um, so I, I would always advise people like, you know, you want to run probably like where your heart rate's in zone two. So like most people below 145 beats per minute, um, try to stay nasal only for as long as you can. And then once you build up, you know, that kind of hunger for air, um, I call it like, I'll take a couple off gas breaths, right? Where I'll just a couple big breaths, like in through the mouth, out through the mouth to get rid of some of that built up CO2. And then you'll, it'll be crazy how much of a difference you'll notice right away. And you can kind of go back to nasal breathing um, immediately after that. And you can do those kind of, you know, off gassing breaths as much as you need to throughout your exercise and just go back to nasal breathing as soon as possible after that. Yeah, the, the breathing out through the mouth was interesting. Um, I forget what the podcast is. And right now I can't come up with the name of, I believe he was the Nobel Pr Prize for Medicine guy who discovered uh, the impact and just the general concept of nitric oxide even being produced. Uh, and then it ended up leading to discovering Viagra because it improved blood flow. 
I forgot the guy's name. I don't know if you know it off the top of your head. I, I know what I know the story. That yeah, yeah, I can't remember his name, but I can't. Yeah. I can't think of his. Name. I, was, I thought it was on Tim Ferriss' podcast. I was just trying to look while you were talking, so I uh, couldn't find it though. But he, I think, was talking about the nitric oxide release, and it's still happening with in through the nose, out through the mouth. So again, it doesn't seem like that which should work, but I was. Uh, I, I don't want to question the Nobel Prize winning guy who discovered nitric oxide. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I certainly try to encourage uh, in and out through the nose only. Uh, so that makes sense to me. So just just glad we clarified that. Um, but yes, if anyone thinks of that guy's name, I'm probably not going to look it up later. But maybe <laughs> at some point. Uh, I had another question from my same cycling friend, Bill. Um, and he was wondering, and him and I have gone back and forth on some of these, geeking out on some of these concepts. We're big fans of Dr. Peter Atia um and and some of the stuff there he talks a lot about zone two training um and again i've i literally assessed uh my friend bill here and and he had trouble accessing his belly breathing um and he's much more interested in performance and he's a pretty mm -hmm. high anxiety guy i'm gonna call you out bill um so he kept focusing on like and and when he does the kind of pre-warm-up uh you know getting the the chest rising and it does activate your nervous system and it puts you in fight or flight so his times are going to be better uh, theoretically. And he's noticed that and he sticks to that. And he's like, I don't want to breathe in my belly. And I'm like, well, again, it, everything has its place in time. And you know, that's the conversation I try to have with him. But his other question was, we were talking about humming. Mm -hmm. Um, and so are you familiar at all with the kind of some of the, uh, benefits and enhancement caused by humming? And that was, uh, something he was asking about. And just, just so we bring that up. Yes. Um, same thing with the nitric. I think it's like, supposed to double triple the amount of nitric oxide that's produced um, when you hum um, on the exhale specifically is, is when you would do it we actually are um, we have a clinical trial going on with upen right now for heart failure patients and um, the protocol that they're using involves humming and where we are we just did like our three-month uh, reassessment and we've seen like huge increases already in heart rate variability um, for these patients with humming the humming protocol specifically so um, there's a lot of evidence they've done a lot of research with humming and the production of nitric oxide too so yeah it's 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 definitely um there's validity to it. It works. It's obviously harder to hum when you're like in the middle of an exercise. I found I, I've kind of played around with it when I, I'm running. Uh, my, my running is so low intensity, right? Because it's such long distance. Typically, I can get away with it sometimes. Um, but what I found more effective, and Andrew Huberman talks about a lot about this a lot now, is the uh, the physiological sigh. So the double inhale, exhale. Um, I found that particularly useful during running or any sort of endurance events. Um, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but it has something to do also when you get like that side stitch, it's like some sort of nerve, um, that's actually causing that. It's not like a, you're not, it could be like a little bit of dehydration, but it's typically something to do with your breathing and that physiological side, like almost instantaneously takes away that side stitch whenever I get it. Um, and it's also, it's the number one breathing protocol that you can use in real life to like instantly decrease anxiety or like a panic attack or anything like that. It has the most effect on like the activating that parasympathetic side of the nervous system in real time so it's it's super useful for any human like in, in real world situations especially people that deal with anxiety or panic attacks a lot yeah and again just that simple ability to teach people to belly breathe i found has critical implications on anxiety and, and i have people report that all the time too um the physiological side is a really interesting one and for most people uh, they know this concept of breathing into like a paper bag. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people ever understood the mechanism of that. And at the end of the day, all it is, is, is you are kind of lowering your oxygenation, right? So all you're doing is breathing out the carbon dioxide and then you're recycling mm -hmm. that carbon dioxide. So if you're in this panic attack, uh, it kind of, it, it's a, a way to hack into getting your body to calm down and playing with the pH levels. And, and we start to understand that. And again, most people, uh, are again tend to not think of these connections, uh, whether they're old school wives' tales. And again, like you said, we figure this stuff out and then we move away from, you know, trying to outsmart it or just 
It's, it's really cool too, I, especially with the physiological side, because for anyone that's listening that has kids, you can see this in action. Mm. Like it's, it's a natural physiological thing that humans yeah. do. When kids start to have temper tantrums, they start to cry. You'll see one of the things they do is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, it's a, that's the, the yeah. physiological side, right? It's your body's natural response to try to calm you down. So it's really cool. You can actually see it like mm-hmm. happening without it's, it's, a, it's innate. It's within inside of us. Um, but the nervous, you know, the, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, it does these things automatically. But you also have the ability to, you know, manually do it and right and use these techniques um, yourself without your body kind of having to take control. So you can you can start to be the driver instead of the passenger of the nervous system. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think last geek out on on the breathing piece, <laughs> uh, but I'm enjoying this for sure. And I hope folks listening are getting a lot out of the, the oxygen stuff. And if you have questions on it seems like anything breathing again i love geeking out on it you can send it my way you can send it to to josh and i think we'll, we'll be happy to answer these questions i also feel like you have a lot of these answers on your content yes a lot of these uh topics with uh stasis as well as your your own social media mm-hmm. um yeah so last one i'll ask you is is um uh maybe two maybe i'll, I'll leave two <laughs> uh so you talk about sauna and and ice plunge um, I think I agree with you uh, in, in what I've heard you say so far, and I'll see if there's any evolution from uh, these other uh, podcasts you've been on. In, in terms of ice plunge, it is kind of more of a regulation of your nervous system, not just the, you know, there's the, the adipose tissue, fat, brown brown fat and, and things like that, where there might be some benefit there. But in terms of breathing, it's really more about dealing with a pretty significant stressor um, and being able to breathe through that and control your breathing. And again, manipulate your nervous system intentionally um, and go in with that awareness, not just, oh, like I'm jumping into this thing and I'm going to breathe through it. But if you can really tap into uh, the, the intention there, I think that seems to be the thing. So is that, are we still on, all on the same page with that? hundred percent. Yeah. And the, the cold tub's an interesting one because there's, there's always new science coming out around mm-hmm. it, especially like when the, within the past like 12 months or so. So you kind of have to, a lot of the things that we thought were true a couple of years ago ended up turning out to be not not true or not the right approach. Um, so now I, I know, and this is what I, I kind of preach to people too, is like, there's it's a tool, the cold tub is a tool, mm-hmm. um, depending on what outcome you're looking to get out of it, there's very different protocols that you would wanna kind of implement into your routine and how you're using it. Um, so, but yes, for, for my purposes and what I typically am using it for is there's sure there's benefits around like the brown fat, um, simulating, you know, the, um, your nervous system and stuff like that. But yeah, it's most used, I think, as a stress inoculation tool for, for me. Right. Um, and then re- of recovery as- aspects, right. From the muscle soreness as well too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're basically intentionally putting your body in a super stressful situation, um, and trying not to react to it. That's why I, I see so many people doing it wrong, right. Where they jump into mm-hmm. a cold tub and they have that huge nervous system reaction. Um, but if you, if you're doing that, you're not getting the intended stimulus that I think you're trying to get out of it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're probably on the same page with that. And just uh, along those same lines, sauna, uh, I think the benefit is really the heat shock protein, right? As far as we know, but every time I'm in there, I'm like, I keep wondering, should I be breathing differently? Or should I just sit here and live and get more comfortable with the uncomfortable? So I don't know if you, you're familiar with anything uh, breathing wise in the sauna. I have- yeah, I haven't seen any specific research done around like breathing protocols in the sauna. Um, I look at it as another just a stress uh, stress tool, right? Except for it's heat stress instead of cold stress. So I try to um, stay calm, as, you know, as much as I can. Real simple, like four six breathing or something like mm-hmm. that would be super sufficient. Um, and then sometimes I mess around with like some some more like hyperventilation breathing in there, right? To intentionally kind of stimulate the nervous system more. And um, I have a good buddy of mine who's like a, a really good meditation coach. He was also uh, an operator in the Navy. And I forget, he, he coined this, I, and I forget what he told me it was called, but basically he was kind of 
he likes to uh he likes to go up and down the nervous system to yeah. really train his nervous system to be comfortable and be fluid, right, in, in yeah. any environment that he goes into. Um, so Ali like to do that in like the cold tub or the sauna as well too, where it's like, I'll do a couple minutes of hyperventilation and then slow down the breathing, do that for a couple minutes and kind of just keep going up and down the, mm -hmm. the chain. Um, and I found that to be super beneficial as well, too. So, again, there's so many things and like so many things you can play with, with yeah. the breath and with sauna and with the cold tub. I think the most important thing is like have a intention when you're going to do it, right. <laughs> you know, or, or else you probably aren't going to get the intended stimulus that you're looking for. Yeah, and along those lines, I think, again, talking to our, our classic wisdom of the ages, um, I come from a Russian culture, and, you know, we had the, the bathhouse, which uh, got some bad reputations at some point, um, but for other reasons. Uh, but, yeah, you go in and you sit in a really hot room uh, for 10 minutes. Usually it was enough for me. And then you jump in the ice plunge, and, and you kind of catch, your, catch it yourself go there, let the nervous system do what it does, and then go back into the heat for 10 minutes uh, and just keep doing that back and forth. Um, and again, having that understanding of what's actually happening. So I do miss that. They don't have any of that. Uh, I haven't found one here that's built that way where, um, you know, you just have that ability to go uh, hot, cold, hot, cold. Uh, so yeah, I know a lot of folks have built it themselves, uh, <laughs> but it, it is a big to do to go into, you know, set up a ice plunge, mm -hmm. um, and then have something very hot where we're talking, you know, 80 to hundred degrees Celsius. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the, the, the optimal range from again, Andrew Huberman and looking at the research protocols and, uh, you know, that's kind of some interesting stuff there, but yeah, that's something I miss and talking to our, our, our wisdom, uh, of the past, um, without getting a heart attack. That was always one video. I, I remember seeing some guy, some, some Russian guy in a sauna. Um, and then he runs out of the sauna and like jumps into a, a lake, a frozen oh, lake. Yeah. And yeah there's like, well, they, they get their saunas like super hot, like 200 yeah. plus. I, I, I've seen Laird Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Um, he messes around like sometimes his sauna is at like 220 or something like that. And he's yeah. doing like the assault bike in there. Um, that dude's an animal. So I, I would love to get up and train with with his group. I know I have a couple of buddies who have been out to some of his XPT like experiences. Yeah. Um, they're just they're so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so the last topic I want to make sure we touch on. You put it in our little pre-call chat, and and so is the alternative health options for vets. Um, again, one of the couple of the folks we we have in common. Uh, Teresa Larson, Dr. Dr. Teresa Larson, who I've had on here twice and I'm hoping to get John McCaskill on here. I'm going to call him out, uh, men talking mindfulness, uh, Marine, uh, and he said he was going to book on my calendar and he didn't yet. Uh, he's a busy on, man. He's, he's a busy, busy man. man. <laughs> he's, a, he's a busy man. I, we're trying to do it in person cause he's not, he's about an hour south of where I'm at, uh, maybe an hour and a half in Colorado Springs. So. Uh, we were debating doing it in person. I think we were just settling on doing it online. But anyway, um, but yeah, in terms of, of the military vets, um, one of my best uh, buddies here uh, who we climb with, uh, he's a former Marine. He teaches Marines how to rock climb. He actually has a very similar kind of demeanor to you. You're, you're kind of, I, I'm curious if anyone else picks up on, uh, you're kind of a combination of two of the guests I've had on, uh, but that's just me, uh, you know, whatever the brain, way my brain works, but uh, bringing it all back to alternative health options for vets um, and kind of some of that stuff that's emerging. would love to hear um, obviously the breathing piece and, and going into some of the psychedelics. If uh, you're, you're able to share with us what, what, what's going on there. Yeah. A uh, ton of, ton of stuff going on in the space um, with maps specifically. I know um, MDMA is like in its final phase three trials for PTSD. So that's, super positive they've the the results they've had i think have been like over 50 percent um of people with like extreme ptsd that's been uncurable with any other treatments um have almost eliminated i think all of their symptoms after like one major treatment which is kind of crazy um so i'm a huge fan i work with uh, a couple of different organizations that facilitate retreats specifically for veterans um, in other countries to do work with both psilocybin mushrooms and ayahuasca. Um, so yeah, I, I just think 
with the epidemic of suicides and like what we're seeing right now with the veteran landscape and the treatment options that are currently available here in the U.S. It seems like this is the most um, beneficial thing that we have right now for people. So huge fan, huge supporter of it. Um, it's not for everyone. And I know that, uh, but I like to at least talk about it just to be make people aware of the options. A lot of people don't know that these options are even available to them. Um, one of the organizations I do want to shout out is um, Heroic Hearts Project. Uh, it's run by Jesse Gould. He's a former um, Army Ranger, um, and they facilitate these retreats. I actually just got back from one um, this past weekend. I was in Peru for a week in the jungle um, with a group of veterans. Um, so yeah, just, just a lot of other um, I, I have a lot of personal friends that have been struggling with with stuff, PTSD and TBIs specifically. And, you know, they go to the VA and they're given handfuls of pills and um, they don't work and they typically get much more depressed. And a lot of the times it leads to suicides. Um, and I've seen a lot of um, 180s, right, with these same friends where they've gotten completely off their pharmaceutical drugs. Um, and a lot of the times it's like this is uh, either a one-time thing for people where they can kind of completely heal themselves. And they don't have to go back and do it. Sometimes that's not the case. Um, but in any case, it's all natural alternatives, right? These are things that uh, our ancestors were doing for thousands of years. Um, and they also grow on the ground. Um, there's no kind of toxic chemicals or anything. They're, they're super safe. Most of these substances, they haven't even found a toxic level that would cause harm to humans. Um, you couldn't take that much without, you know, puking or throwing this stuff up. So yeah, I'm just a huge advocate of it. Um, if anyone's listening that wants to learn more, happy to talk more personally about my experiences and, and connect you with the right people that you need to be talking to if you're seeking treatment for yourself as well, too. And that's the big disclaimer, of course, is, you know, make sure you're doing that properly, not with a, uh, a shaman that's <laughs> properly. Yeah, that is the, the, the one caveat, too. Um, unfortunately, when stuff like this does emerge you have the backyard shamans and the people yeah. that want to be the gurus um fortunately there's a lot of very professional folks both in the united states and overseas that are, are doing this work um, from a very clinical standpoint too right and those are the the types of people that you want to work with and um the the organizations and the foundations that do facilitate these you know obviously are, are the safety of the the participants is number one um so they're they're vetting these resources going down there and um the the facilities that are being used overseas right now um at least the two that i've been to have been world-class professional medical staff on site um the facilitators the, the healers that work at these retreat centers have typically been doing this for 20 plus years so um typically Take, took them longer to become a, a shaman or a healer or whatever you want to call them than it would a typical doctor in the United yeah. States to do their practice. Um, so it's it's world world class uh, treatment facilities from from my perspective and the places that I've been to. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to get the exact spelling and the link of the the Haro Karts project, um, and we'll put that in the show notes. And if anyone wants to reach out to Josh, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, before you give everyone best places to find you, let's give them one of your top action steps uh, as far as breathing. Just learn to belly breathe, or any <laughs> or anything more more fun. Uh, yeah, I think there's kind of the the three pillars that we always harp on, right? Is um, the mechanics, right? So nasal breathing in and out through the nose, um, initiating the breath with the diaphragm or that low belly breathing, and then three. Uh, lowering the breathing volume. So a lot of people over are over breathing. So they're breathing too much oxygen or too much air than the, the needs of the actual body. Um, you typically can, can change that just by switching to nose breathing if you're breathing through the mouth, right? So that kind of solves that problem. Um, so those are three pillars. My recommendation would be 10 minutes a day, sit down, lie down, get in a comfortable position. Um, just start by breathing like five and five is a good place to start or four and four. Eventually, you know, if you want to get more relaxed, you want to try to extend the exhale, 
um, a couple of seconds longer than the inhale. Four or six would be a great place to start. Do that for a week um, and see how you you feel, uh, you know, different. And then you can kind of expand expand your practice from just, there. Just to dig a little deeper on that last one is is five minutes a day or one minute a day. I think five or ten minutes is a great place to start. Um, I would typically recommend you know either doing it first thing in the morning when you wake up um or right before you go to bed at night i'm i'm with you 100 percent. so uh yeah appreciate that and then yeah just to wrap it up uh any place uh best places to reach out to you i think uh stasis the website will have that linked and uh i think on all, all your socials is just your name josh dunce yeah, yeah josh dunce um most active actually probably on like linkedin um mm -hmm. so but i'm also on instagram and twitter a little bit um at josh dunce there and then yep yeah, the website um they can email me directly they'll find my email on there as well too awesome well i got a lot out of today i got at least one percent better as i like to say and uh yeah, uh, appreciate you being on here, Josh. Uh, looking forward to uh, hearing more about how uh, your next order of LMNT, um, <laughs> your next ultra running event, um, and yeah, touching base on all that, and and of course all the breathing pieces. Um, yeah, I really want. I'm really curious to see how the long COVID. We didn't even go too deep into that with Mount Sinai, uh, the project there. Um, I think there's a lot there, and I, I think we, I avoided going there because it can open up a, a really big conversation so uh you know trying to be respectful of your time so we'll leave it off there uh and I, I do like this big wild thing so here's the the day wave remix let's see is it playing what do we got there we go i don't know if you've heard this remix before but yeah so big wild i'm gonna go check them out and uh, we'll wrap it up there. And uh, awesome. thanks, guys, for tuning in. Before you take off, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If you made it this far, please send this directly to someone you think will benefit from what you picked up from this episode. Leave a comment if you can. Leave a rating. Leave a review. It all means the world to me and keeps me going and keeps me able to share this with more humans. That's the goal. That's the intention. Talk to you next time.